Amen. Would have been fun to be there, huh? Be one of those shepherds. And uh, interesting always as we read in God's Word, surprising ways in which He carries out His plans and uh, reveals things to people that are often quite unexpected, and the shepherds would certainly be in that category. So, glad that we're here together this morning. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, not only preaching this message, uh, next week um, on January 1st, I had to get three messages ready this week, so I might just like read my sermon, because I can't, like, I, I, last night I got home after the Christmas Eve service and what am I preaching on tomorrow morning? I just can't remember. Because I had to do, do, and Kirsten's doing the music for all three too. So everything's getting jumbled up in our heads. Um, but uh, really excited to come back next week. We're going to, before we get back into our series in Romans next week, next week we're going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew and look at verses uh, 1 through 11 of chapter 2 and the account of uh, the wise men uh, coming to visit and worship and give gifts to Jesus. Super excited about that, uh, and so come back next week for that. But this week, we're kind of doing the two, the one in between that, and that is Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, uh, which is really quite short, uh, but I think very, very interesting. And so we're going to notice some things about Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to that. Uh, so Christmas, I recognize, means lots of different things to lots of different people. Ron mentioned this morning uh, that, that 50% of people in some survey recently, or over 50% or something like that, said they didn't even know or didn't recognize Christmas as any sort of religious holiday. So people have different ideas of what, uh, what we do at Christmas, and understandably so. Lots of different traditions, lots of different things going on. But as Christians, what we do at Christmas is pretty clear. We gather together to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the one, this human son of a virgin named Mary, named Jesus, born to Mary and Joseph, is actually God with us, our Savior. That's who we come to worship this morning. So that's what we're going to see today, I think pretty clearly, as we look at Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Here's my goal today. Uh, my goal today is that you would walk out of here knowing what it is that you really need. Uh, because this is a time of year, like I mentioned, I think maybe when I was praying, uh, w w was just thinking about the fact that tomorrow as we gather with some of our family, we're going to open some gifts. People asked what we needed this year. Really nothing. We have everything we need. God has richly supplied for our every need plus some, but we're going to receive gifts anyway. Right? That, that's just what's going to happen. And some of those things we'll find out, hey, you know what, that's kind of nice, that's really useful. All of them we'll appreciate because they're given to us by people that we love. But some of them, honestly, will be like, I really just don't need that. Uh, and, and, and that's the way it is with some of the things that we receive. But here's what we can hopefully walk away knowing for sure this morning. That we would walk out of here believing that what we need more than anything else is Jesus. That we need Him, Emmanuel, God with us, to come and be our Savior. That hopefully that's what we can walk out of here knowing that we need. So last night, we looked at the first 17 verses of Matthew, which are a record of Jesus' genealogy. It's just a list of names, but it's much more than a list of names. I told the story last night of how my grandma and grandpa met, kind of an interesting story, and how in Jesus' genealogy also, there are many interesting layers of many interesting stories 
um, that make us just stand in wonder that God would seek to, through that dysfunctional family line, bring in his Savior. The, the line I used last night was, Jesus came from all kinds of messed up people in order to save all kinds of messed up people. We see that pretty clearly in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. But now we're moving on to Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Matthew had made a big deal that Jesus was the son of David and the son of Abraham. So he, uh, in his human lineage, came in the line of David and came in the line of Abraham to fulfill God's promises that were made to both David and Abraham. And so, now we're going to, this morning, look at Matthew 1, 18 to 25. It's a very short account of how it was that Jesus came to be born in the line of these two, kind of expanding the story just a bit. So, if you're able to, would you go ahead and stand as we read Matthew 1, 18 to 25. I'm going to pray, and then we'll read God's Word together. Father, I thank you again uh, for your constant presence with us, that it doesn't require that we're here in this building to have your presence with us, that, that you, through, uh, through our faith in Jesus, come to dwell in us by your Spirit. What an incredible gift that is, that you are always with us. And so I pray that your Spirit, who is with us, who believe, would cause our hearts to be stirred this morning to have more affection for Jesus. And God, for those that are here this morning who do not yet have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them because their faith is not in Jesus, I pray that your Spirit would be at work uh, to soften hearts and to convict of sin uh, so that people would turn and trust in Jesus even this morning. In His name we pray. Amen. So, God's Word from the Gospel of Matthew starting in verse 18 of the first chapter. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You can be seated. In your bulletin, there should be a a spot for you to take some notes if that's helpful for you to follow along. And maybe you were up late last night, you need to do something to keep awake. Uh, Go ahead and use that sheet for that. A little, um, maybe helpful, hopefully, for you. We're going to see a couple of points here as we look at this passage this morning. The first one, just as the story moves along, first thing we see in verses 18 and 19 is we see a troubling pregnancy. A troubling pregnancy. It tells us how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. It begins by saying, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. 
Betrothed means, so, so betrothal is not something we really do anymore. It's a, it's a word, it's a phase of a relationship that's stronger than our engagement. Okay? Um, when somebody was betrothed, they would typically for a period of about one year in time, and during that one year, the wife would continue, the soon-to-be wife would continue to live with her family while the husband prepared a home and a place for he and his wife to live in upon their marriage. It was a pretty strong agreement, and during this time, we're found, we find that Mary and Joseph had been betrothed to one another. But the troubling part comes with the next part where it says, But before they came together, she was found to be with child. Imagine the heartbreak and feeling of betrayal that Joseph might feel at this moment as he comes to find out that this woman who he's been preparing, he's been saving himself for, they've been preparing to live this married life together, and he comes to find that she is pregnant and it's not his child. And so, this betrothal, like I mentioned, is, is a strong kind of bond, so strong even that in verse 19, it says that Joseph was her husband. Okay? That's how strong this connection was. They were not yet married to one another, but they, their relationship was strong enough, this betrothal was, that in order to sever that relationship, it would require a formal divorce of some sort, though the marriage itself had not even happened yet. Okay? So it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Interesting, isn't it? It says two things here about Joseph. Do you see that in verse 19? Her husband Joseph, being a just man. He was a just man. He was a godly man. He was a righteous man. He knew what was right. He knew God's law. And in fact, the law at that time, though it wasn't often enforced in the first century, the law at that time said that if a woman were found to have committed adultery during her period of betrothal, that she could be, by law, stoned to death. Another option for Joseph would have been a a kind of more normal and public divorce that would have really caused shame to come to Mary. But Joseph is not just a just and righteous man. He knows that whatever's happened, it sure doesn't look right to him. It says in verse 18 that this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph doesn't know that. And so, Joseph, not only being a just man, is also a very merciful man. Because here's what it says too in verse 19. He was unwilling to put her to shame, so he resolved to divorce her quietly. Interesting, isn't it? That, that Joseph not only being a just man, is also so concerned about Mary and her reputation and her heart that he's willing to go through this process that must be gone through if they're going to be cutting off this betrothal and the divorce is going to be done quietly because he's unwilling to put her to shame. See, that Joseph is a very just and a very merciful kind of man. Certainly this pregnancy must have been so troubling for him. He must have felt so much betrayal. He can't believe that this just happened. But then we get to verse 20. 
We learn a little bit more. We're going to have an angelic announcement in verses 20 and 21. Joseph uh, is sleeping, and here's what happens. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, and now I want to notice a, a few of the ways in which the, here's some of the things that the angel says to Joseph and about Joseph that I think are all pretty important. First of all, the angel addresses him not just as Joseph, but reminds him that he is a son of David. He comes in the line of King David, from whom the Messiah would come. And so as the angel comes to Joseph, she doesn't, the angel doesn't just say to Joseph, Joseph, the angel refers to Joseph as Joseph, son of David. And then the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Go ahead and get married as you were planning on. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now I'm sure Joseph in his dream, trying to kind of wrap his mind around all of these things that the angel has said, it probably goes by too fast for him to process it. This angel just told him, you were planning on cutting off this betrothal and not going ahead with the marriage. I'm telling you, go ahead and get married. And not only that, I'm telling you that this baby that is growing inside of Mary's womb is conceived not by some other man, but by the Holy Spirit. That's a lot to take in. And then says she will bear a son. So Joseph in his dream finds out that Mary's baby will be a son. I bet an angel didn't show up at your gender reveal party, right? Uh, kind of cool that the way that this worked out is that he finds out right away in a dream that this is going to be a boy. She will bear a son. And not only that, the angel gives him more information and says, and you shall call his name Jesus. The angel not only knows that it's going to be a boy, the angel lets Joseph know this is what you're supposed to name him. You're supposed to name him Jesus. And then she tells him why to name or the angel, not she, the angel tells him why to name him that. And the reason is, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you don't know Hebrew, uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You're supposed to name him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. Uh, the, the name Jesus is a Greek name, really, that is taken from a Hebrew name, Yeshua, or we would pronounce it Joshua. And that name, Joshua, or Jesus, literally means Yahweh is salvation, or the Lord is salvation, or the Lord saves. A fitting name, isn't it, for Jesus to have? That Jesus' name is, he's named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His name means the Lord saves. And so that's why the angel tells Joseph, please give this name to him. This is what we need this Christmas. Just telling you, if you're trying to think of, as you think about, what, what do I really need this Christmas? What we really need this Christmas? We need a Savior. That's what we need more than anything else. This is what we always need. Now, around Christmas time, it seems to be the job of those who are in marketing and advertising to convince us that we really need some things, or maybe even that some other people in our family really need some things. And, and their whole goal is to get us to buy whatever it is that they're trying to convince us that we need. 
so that they can make some money, right? So, so there's a whole lot of marketing and advertising. Millions, billions of dollars get poured into trying to convince you at this time of year that you need this. But what we learn as we look at Matthew chapter 1 is that what we really need is a Savior. And, and the message that you're getting this Christmas is not only from those that are doing advertising telling you what it is that you need. A lot of people at this time of year, anybody fans of Christmas movies, you like watching, you've got like a favorite Christmas, like every year I always watch this movie at Christmas time. And Christmas movies have messages that they're sharing with us too. And if I were to pick a theme for most Christmas movies, tell me if your favorite Christmas movie fits in this theme. The theme would be, there's a lot of good in everyone, and you just need to look for it and find it. That, I think, is the theme of a lot of different Christmas movies. There's, there's a lot of good in everyone. If you would just look for it, you might find it. And so, I'm, I was thinking about, because I was listening to some other people talk about um, Christmas movies and the theology behind them. So I want to do like a quick little run through some messages of Christmas movies that tell us, here's what we need. Because this is not, again, the message that I'm sharing with you, that you really need a Savior, the message that comes from the Bible, that's not the only message you hear this Christmas. So there's messages that are coming from movies. Anybody know what this movie is? Anybody's favorite? It's A Wonderful Life, right? Uh, when I was first do, doing some theater stuff, I got to be the bad guy. I got to be, is it Mr. Potter, right? Uh, that, that's, that's who I was uh, when I was in this play one time. But you've seen this movie maybe, uh, quite old, and it, and it gets played a ton around Christmas time. What does the movie It's a Wonderful Life tell us about what it is that we need? Well, we need friends to remind us of how good we are, right? Because, because George just doesn't feel very good about himself. But once uh, an angel, uh, and the angel, by the way, the angel is a second-class angel. Remember that? And, and what does the angel need to do to move up to first class? He needs to earn his wings by doing something really good to help somebody. And the good thing that he needs to do is to help other people remind George of how good he is. Okay? So the message that I get from It's a Wonderful Life is we really need some friends to remind us of how good we are. And if we're an angel, we need to work hard to try and earn our wings so that we're not a second-class angel anymore. Okay? So like, well, I like that movie. You just ruined it. Uh, sorry. Um, this movie, you know this movie? There's newer versions of it, too. I could have put a picture from a newer version. This is the movie Miracle on 34th Street. Okay, maybe you've seen a newer version of that movie. Um, the, the, the thing that this movie probably tells us that we need is that we need to believe in the miracle of Santa Claus. And a, a quote from that movie is, Which is worse, a lie that draws a smile or a truth that draws a tear? Right? It's better to go ahead and tell a lie if it's going to make people smile than it is to tell people the truth if it might make them cry. So what we really need is to believe in the miracle of Santa Claus. Anybody know this movie? Right? <laughs> yeah. Home Alone, right? Uh, and so uh, the, the, the message that I get as I look at this movie, what does this movie tell us that we need? Like many other movies that are, that are watched around Christmas time, it tells us that our greatest need is that we need to be together with people that we love at Christmas time. And we need to do whatever it takes to make that happen. We also don't want bad guys to uh, mess with our house. But there's this line in the sequel, Home Alone 2, where there's a lady who's talking to Kevin McAllister. And here's the line that she shares. She says this, 
It might not be big enough on the screen for you to read it. I didn't even put it all on there. But here's, here's what this lady says. Did you know that a good deed can erase a bad one? And Kevin says, I don't know if I'll have enough good deeds to erase all my bad ones. And she replies, the good news is that it's Christmas Eve and good deeds count extra tonight. Think of an important thing you can go do for others and go do it. Just follow the star in your heart. Right? So, uh, interesting message that we get uh, from Home Alone. Follow the star, not the one that leads to the Savior in Bethlehem, but follow the star in your heart. Do good things because on Christmas Eve, those good deeds count extra, like maybe even double or something. And so then they're going to outweigh maybe your bad deeds. One more movie. You know that movie? Movie, play, book, lots of stuff, Christmas Carol, okay? And the basic message of that, whatever version you're watching, is we need to change our ways, stop being so grumpy, and start spreading some Christmas cheer and happiness, okay? That's the message of a lot of Christmas movies, too. So Christmas movies tell us what we need. I think a lot of them kind of miss the mark quite a bit. They're maybe sappy, sentimental. You have to watch them because it's tradition. But I think the message that comes from a lot of them, in some ways, is even anti-gospel. If there's one movie that gets it right, it's probably this one, probably Charlie Brown's Christmas, because they're trying to figure out what the meaning of Christmas is, and there's even a line in there in which he just says, I know what Christmas is all about, and then he just starts reading from Luke chapter 2. I think he's kind of got it right, uh, because he's pointing us back to the Word of God. Thankfully, the Word of God tells us what it is that we really need. We need a Savior. And so, I hope that that's one thing that you can walk out of here with today, recognizing that you, we all, need a Savior more than we need anything else. We need someone to save us from our sins. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I wrote some things down to remind me of here's why we need a Savior more than anything else. Because in 2016, think about this, people. We've said some hurtful words to other people. We've had some impure thoughts. And we're not going to get rid of our sins by doing a lot of good deeds, even ones that maybe you did yesterday when they counted extra. Right? Because following the star in our hearts just leads us to sin. It would be better to follow the star that leads to the Savior. We need someone to save us from our sins because that line from It's a Wonderful Life, no man is a failure who has friends. Do you remember that line from there? Well, that's a great line if you're surrounded by friends, but if you're sitting here on Christmas Day and you're feeling extremely lonely, that doesn't sound like very good news at all. In fact, it sounds like you must be then a failure, and that's not good news at all. But thankfully, we have really good news. Good news that we have a Savior, that friends aren't going to save us, but Jesus will save us, and He will even call us friends. Sometimes people in our lives don't remind us of how good we are, but they help us to see how bad we are. Has that happened to you this year? If you're a parent, it probably has. One thing that happens as you're a parent is you start to recognize how much sin still dwells in your own heart. Right? And so I don't need people to surround me to remind me of how good that I am. 
I need God to, in His grace and mercy, remind me of how bad I am sometimes so that I recognize my great need for a Savior. We need a Savior more than we need anything else because oftentimes at this time of year we think that, man, if kids could have a nice Christmas if they just got some really nice gifts. And so there's kids whose families maybe can't afford them. And if we just give them some really good gifts, that's what they really need to make Christmas nice. But I don't know that that will totally work because what they need more than anything else is a Savior. When you're going through Christmas without someone you love, There's no family tradition or sappy Christmas movie that's going to make up for it. You need to know the answer for the sting of death. That's found only in Jesus. Kids who have seen the devastating effects of war in Aleppo are not going to recover by believing in some fantasy that makes them smile for a moment. They need to know that there's somebody who has an answer who is just and merciful and has an answer for all the evil that they've seen in their young lives. Right? We need, everybody needs a Savior. Because we who think that we're actually pretty good people, we don't need someone to come and remind us of how good we are. We need someone to come and tell us the truth about ourselves, that we're sinners who will be punished by our just God unless someone comes to take our place to save us from our sins. We need a Savior. And Christmas is about this glorious truth that God has sent one, one who will come and save His people from their sin. Now the last two points I'm going to go through really quickly because I wanted to really focus in on that. That what we need more than anything else is that we need a Savior. But we also need God to be with us. And Matthew, of course, is writing his gospel to Jewish people who are very concerned with knowing whether or not this Jesus whom he's writing about is their Messiah. And so he takes pains to go through this whole genealogy to show that he comes from the line of David and the line of Abraham. And then he lets them know that he is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. And throughout the rest of the book, he'll say many others as well. But this prophecy from the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew adds, for those of us who don't know Hebrew, which means God with us. That's another thing that we desperately need. It's an amazing truth, isn't it? That Jesus, who is come to earth to be fully human, to identify with us in every way, he is still fully God. Jesus is God with us. That's what we need. More than we need family to be with us at Christmas, we need God to be with us. And that's who Jesus is. He is God with us. And I find it interesting. So here at the end of Matthew chapter 1, as we hear his account of the birth of Jesus, after Jesus lives his perfect sinless life and dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, right before Jesus is going to ascend to heaven, do you remember how the Gospel of Matthew ends? It's a reminder of this promise that Jesus will always be with us. Remember, we're told, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The end of Matthew's Gospel. We're told, Go and make disciples. And this truth 
that is Jesus with us that we first see at Christmas. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God who will be with us as we go and make disciples of all nations. What a glorious truth to remember here on Christmas morning. We need a Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. We need God to be with us, and Jesus is God with us. And then one more thing. The baby is Jesus. The last two verses give us this picture of Joseph as a really faithful man, isn't he? I mean, imagine all that he's gone through in his mind, preparing to marry this this young and incredibly righteous woman, only to find out that she's now pregnant and it's not his child. And so he has this plan to divorce her quietly, but then an angel comes and lets him know that this is who the baby will be. It's conceived by the Holy Spirit. It will be, this baby will be a son. It will be the Savior. All these things are going through Joseph's mind. And here's Joseph's response. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I love reading the accounts uh, that come from the gospel writers of Jesus' birth that remind us, even this morning, what it is that we really need more than anything else. So here's what I want you to go out thinking about today. The real good news about how God gives us what we really need. I want us to think about that. That, that here's the reality. We don't need to be good for goodness sake. Because somebody's watching us when we're sleeping and knows when we're awake. Just so that he can come and give nice gifts to people who have been good. The reality that we need to wrestle with is the reality that we're bad. And more than we need a jolly judge to descend from a sleigh and sneakily come down our chimney while we're sleeping so he can eat our cookies and give us stuff that will wear out soon. We need to know that we're bad. And we need a righteous and merciful judge to send his son, to descend from heaven to earth, to be born of a virgin, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is a true story that I hope you believe, that I hope that you believe that you need more than anything a Savior, and you need God to be with you. If you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, I'd love to talk to you more about that. But the good, news about, the good news about Christmas is not that good people who have been nice for most of the year are going to get some good stuff. The good news about Christmas is that God has given us a Savior, and God is with us. And as it says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you have provided for us. You have provided what it is that we most need. And that is a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. And so again, as we talked about and prayed about last night, I don't know who's in here this morning who 
is still living life as though they are king of their own life. That they have not yet yielded their life, submitted themselves to Jesus as Lord. That they are still living as slaves to sin. God, I pray that they would hear the good news this morning. That they don't need to figure out how they can get it all together and try and be less grumpy and more happy. That they don't need to earn things on their own, but everything that they need has been provided for them in Christ. Pray that they would hear that good news this morning, repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. And I pray that you would help we who know these truths and believe these truths to hold them more dearly. That we would communicate them clearly to the next generation. And that we would believe them with all of our hearts, that we would spend the rest of our lives going and making disciples of all nations, recognizing that even as we do that, Jesus is with us always, even to the very end of the age. Thank you for the privilege of celebrating Him and His birth today together. In Jesus' name, Amen.